Good morning, New Covenant. How's everybody doing? Everybody's doing well. I'll tell you what, you know what's been really helpful is these lights have been um, installed and it's more difficult to see you guys and your faces, which is that not, not that you guys are ugly. It, it, that's not it at all. It's, it's actually uh, good that I don't see your reactions. Um, I used to, I still do. I like engagement from the audience. Um, but it, I don't think that's necessarily the best thing always. Um, Sorry, my computer's being slow. All right. Let's pray real quick. I know Shelly just prayed, but man, I need more of Jesus. I need more prayer. Um, it doesn't matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord. Uh, you always need more prayer, and you always need to pray. Um, and so let's just pray real quick. Holy Spirit, we thank you uh, for just who you are uh, in our lives, Lord. Uh, Lord, we do not pray to you to receive something We do not pray to you uh, to make things better in our life. We pray to you because you are our Savior, but Lord, you are also our Lord. And Lord, we want you to rule and reign in our lives, Lord. We want to be so close to you that every misstep, your gentle love pulls us closer. So Lord, bless this time that we have this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present with us. And Lord, we just ask for your peace, your comfort. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Before we uh, dive in, I'm going to kind of give you um, kind of a brief overview. Um, So I've listened to what you guys are doing in Romans, uh, Romans 1 and 2. Um, Romans is one of my favorite books uh, of the Bible. It is just extremely rich, um, and I love theology, and so there's a lot of core theological principles that Romans holds uh, and teaches and instructs us as believers. Um, And I think you guys have started to see the journey the Lord has taken me on to become more theologically sound. Um, And so in the past, I have been on one side of the pendulum, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, you know, of not reading my Bible being so present what I call presence-focused, that is just spiritual jargon for saying I don't read my Bible, I am quote-unquote attentive to the Holy Spirit. Is part of that true? Yes, right, but I was not rooted in Scripture. Now now that the Lord has really gripped a hold of my heart and made me realize in my life that is spiritual jargon, um, that I have swung to the complete other side where I still say I'm spiritually sensitive, but it's the Word and the Word alone and no other individual gets to uh, put, have any input in my life uh, except the Word of God. Again, it's all in balance, right? I'm not saying one is bad and the other is good and vice versa. It, it needs to be in balance. We need to find that middle ground. Um, and that's kind of the journey that I am on. And I say that because I wanted to dissect Romans 3 and share my testimony. Because I, I, <laughs> I love diving into Scripture. I love right? Uh, Tom uh, would talk about it. exegetical analysis, right? It's just all fancy stuff for diving into the word. Um, but to tie that into my testimony, Romans 3 does not fit well, quite honestly. There's not really anything in Romans 3 that I can 
really tie my testimony to, um, except my dad and I were talking, uh, except for the verse that says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's really about it, and that is the story of my life, quite honestly. I have always fallen short of the glory of God. Um, But one of the things that the Lord has done, he has completely changed the trajectory uh, of my life, and I'm going to share that. But before we do, um, man, as I was praying this morning and asking the Lord, like, man, it's (laughs) it's been eight amazing years um, since the Lord radically transformed my life. But it's also difficult to go into sharing an amazing story of God's healing and miracle work when, you know, just yesterday, you know, Chuck Cooley passed away. And so the enemy was already trying to get in my head, like, who are you to share your testimony? When just yesterday, Chuck did not receive the healing that we thought it was supposed to look like, right? It's all about focus. It's all about your perspective. And um, I think the Lord is really calling us to ask ourselves the question, what do you really believe? Because in situations like this, oftentimes believers have a tendency to reduce their theology to their circumstances. And I think this is a crossing point of saying we cannot reduce, right, our theology of of healing, of miracles from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when it didn't come through like we thought it would. But the reality is, is a miracle did happen. Right, he, I I know. I know he's dancing with the kings and of uh, king of kings and the lord of lords. Yeah. But you know there's some new believers you know in here that are maybe watching online and you're like how can you know you preach that the lord performs miracles for here and now and yet something like this you know did happen. Um God did not take Chuck. Um it is an attack of the enemy, yeah. and um, so not only um, did the enemy uh, take his life, but he gained it. Chuck gained his life. Yeah. And the other side of the enemy's attack is to create division within the church. Because I've already seen it. Um, I hate Facebook. I never get on. I never, well, I shouldn't say I never get on. I get on every once in a while. But, I, you know, everybody's posting it. You know, how could God do this? And just some basic principles of who God is as healer. Right, we understand that God and Jesus are one. I think I've, sh- I think I've shared a little bit of this before here. I'm not quite positive. Right, but we know that Jesus and God, right, they are one. Right. They, they are the triune being, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are of the same person. Right? Jesus, fully God, fully man, was sent to the earth. Right? And what does it say? He came to bring life and life to the fullest. Yeah. Okay? That was his assignment. That is who he is. And that is who he was and who he is still today. 
And a lot of people, a lot of my friends who are not, uh, who do not believe signs, wonders, miracles are for today, um, they believe in predestination. You're either in heaven or you're in hell. There's nothing you can do about it. Miracles are not here today. And God brings sickness to teach people, individuals, different lessons. And again, my argument is, found in scripture, if they truly are one and the same essence, which we all believe, doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum, charismatic, evangelical, he chose to freely give. And that's one of the things that I have to continually remind myself. It was, he chose to freely give me that gift. But when it comes to our righteousness through our faith in Jesus, this is kind of me paraphrasing. I feel like the Lord, uh, Jesus is saying, you have two choices. I can work and you can rest. Or you can work and I can rest. Because I'm a doer. I love to do things the right way. We're going to get into that. Unless you accept righteousness as a free gift and not out of your own works, then you will live out of your sin nature even if you are born again. Unless you accept righteousness as a free gift and not out of your own works, then you will live out of your sin nature even if you have been born again. That was a hard pill for me to swallow. Your righteousness never came from you to begin with. So how could you ever, ever earn more or lose it? This is directed towards me. Stop trying to work your way to be righteous, but start believing that you are already righteous. The more that you believe you are righteous, the more that your lifestyle reflects that. The more you believe you're a sinner, your lifestyle will reflect that. You should not desire what you deserve, but what Christ deserves. All of this is derived from Romans 1 and Romans 2. His righteousness, not mine. And seven years ago, I (laughs) was righteous by my works because of what I was doing, because of everything that I was doing right according to Scripture, how I was living a noble life. (laughs) But you all know, that's a joke. Right, I had such insecurities in who I was because I believed that I was doing it in my own accord. I had my life figured out. Heck, some of you probably remember uh, 18-year-old Joel. Um, I played basketball in high school, for some of you that don't know that. And uh, for some of you that don't know that, my dad is the pastor here. And with pastor's kids, there are 
kind of two ways that you see pastor's kids kind of traditionally going. You either have pure rebellion or you kind of have the perfectionist do everything right, but it's all because my mom or dad is in a uh, position of leadership. And I was on the ladder. Everything that I did, right, was very much motivated to please my father. I wanted to look the part, sound the part, all simply for the fact that I did not want to ruin my father's reputation. It had nothing to do with Christ. Nothing. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It had nothing to do with Christ. It had nothing to do with my identity as a son of God, as a righteous, moral Joel because of Christ, right? But it was because I was not smoking, drinking, sex, all that crap, right? It was because I was living an upright life, quote-unquote, right? And so you, and I think in middle school, high school, as you're developing your identity, um, it's very easy, and I, I have preached this from the pulpit, right? My faith was my, far- uh, my parents' faith, um, and there's still a portion of that that is good, right, that has been passed down. But you ultimately come, right, as you see in Scripture, the age of accountability, where you will become accountable for your own faith, for who you are as a son or daughter of the king. And I was so far from knowing who Jesus was. Again, my righteousness came from my good works. I lived a moral life because I was a good person. I uh, was very kind to everybody. Um, I went out of my way uh, to talk to every individual, right? All of the quote-unquote check marks as a good person. And I hear that all the time. Oh, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> no, you ain't. And that's one of the, with my job, I, I, that's one of the most difficult conversations that I have to have of like, well, I live a very good, moral, upstanding life because I'm a good person, I serve, you know, and do all these things, but I'm like, you're going straight to hell. You have no relationship with Jesus. You've never proclaimed that faith. You've never accepted his righteousness as your own. And without that, you got a one-way ticket to hell. It's a tough conversation. It's, it's tough to say to people, but I, I can't afford to water down the gospel because then their, their life is in, uh, I'm responsible for, Right? It's a weighty topic, but it's, it's truth. Yeah. And we need to take that a little bit more seriously as a body. Yeah. But going into high school, I'm finishing up my senior year, um, and I ended up going to Hope College up in Holland, Michigan. And um, I thought that I was all that in a bag of chips. I had my life figured out. Again, I was so, uh, it was false humility. Right, I, I said one thing, and then, you know, my internal world was completely different. Uh, oh, yeah, I read the Bible. Yeah, I read a verse three weeks ago. Um, and then I took Scripture completely out of context to make it fit my narrative, to fit what I was feeling. Um, I was so guilty of emotionalizing uh, Scripture based upon what I was experiencing, based on what I was um, going through at the moment. And I remember leading up to going to college, there were, there were moments where the Lord was like, hey, you really need to wake up to the reality that 
you're not where, really where you think you are. And that's, how, that's who he is. He, he lovingly knocks on our door. And we have the choice to let him in or to uh, push him away. And time and time again, I pushed him away. But th- and I don't know how it works. I, I, I really don't. But I, was, I convinced myself that I let him in. And I think that's the scary part is I truly thought that I had let him in. He was the Lord and Savior of my life. But again, it was all because my understanding of righteousness was so thwarped. Right? It was, it was not rooted in biblical righteousness. And so I remember freshman year. Oh, boy. It was a lot of fun. Um, I had, I was the popular dorm. My roommate and I, Zach Dreyer, we, our room was always hopping. And I thought that was the measure with which uh, I, fruit was coming forth of my life. People were wanting to come in and out. Um, I don't know if it was because of me. Or I, I did have piranhas my freshman year. Um, people knew when feeding time was. Uh, I went to go get goldfish at Meyer. And I had five piranhas, huge 30-gallon tank in my, in my dorm room. <laughs> but again, it was, it was completely rooted in insecurity because I wanted to uh, seek the approval of others and not him. And uh, freshman year was great. Came home, uh, played basketball, all that stuff. It was, um, just a, it was a very amazing experience. Going into my sophomore year, again, I was, I was very prideful. You never knew it because, again, I had this facade up of that I am a pastor's kid. Um, I do not live a wild, rebellious lifestyle. Um, and because of that, I'm righteous. And it, it, golly, it kind of makes me sick even sharing it because it's so gross, <laughs> honestly. But thank you, Jesus. Um, but sophomore year, this is 2013, um, I ended up uh, doing an insanity workout. This is like October of 2013. How many of you have done the insanity workout? Yeah, just, just don't do it. The name speaks for itself. And I heard a loud, or we were doing the insanity workout. I went up to do a burpee. And maybe the Lord is dealing with my heart. Maybe this is my excuse for not exercising and not doing burpees. No, I'm just kidding. Went up to do a burpee and heard a loud pop in my back. Now, some of you know, within Newcastle, basketball reigns king. Indiana, really. There's a, I mean, basketball just reigns king. I wish it was Jesus, but it's basketball at the moment. I live to see the day where Jesus reigns king in Indiana. But um, at the moment, and I think COVID even exposed this, um, America has um, a lot of lords, a lot of false gods that are not of, of God, sports and entertainment, eating out, food. Um, those are just uh, a couple, but for here, basketball reigned king. And you do everything that you can to ensure that you are the, the best player. And so I have 
all I know is basketball um, <laughs> from golly, when I was young. I mean, it was basketball, everything, church basketball, church basketball. That's what my life revolved around. More basketball, sadly, than it was uh, church. I went to church because, again, they gave us a choice. I want to be clear. My parents always gave us a choice because Jesus always gives us a choice. Yeah. I, I don't. There are certain circumstances where choices um, probably should be taken away, but for the majority of our life, um, Jesus always gives us a choice, and I always want to present people with the choice. But growing up, basketball, church, and so when I had that, that pop happen in my back, um, I had had back pain since I was 14 years old. It was just something that I had become accustomed to. It was something that I knew. It was part of who I was. Oh, I, I slipped a disc again. No big deal. Suck it up, buttercup. We're going to keep going. Um, and so when that pop happened, the back pain was completely out of control. I never experienced that kind of back pain. It was completely different uh, than what I had experienced in the past. And then I started feeling tingling in my toes. I thought that was bizarre. But again, prideful Joel because I had so much pride in who I was as an athlete. At this point, I was 20 years old. I'm, you know, again, pride, please. All-star athlete, best shape of my life, 20-year-old. Um, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And by the end of that evening, things continued to get worse. And I quickly realized, okay, there, I just kind of need to take this a little bit more seriously. The back pain is completely out of control, and this tingling started getting worse. So I remember uh, my roommates actually took me to um, the emergency room that evening. And they did a ton of stuff, and ultimately they were like, you're fine, no big deal. Uh, they put me on some pretty heavy pain medication uh, and sent me back to my dorm room. Uh, the pain medication, I, I don't know exactly what it was, uh, but you know how sometimes when you're on pain medication, you kind of get loopy. Um, at that point, I really don't remember everything that had taken place. I don't even remember going back to my dorm room. Um, but it was late at night, and I remember that next morning, I mean, I was just in a daze. Uh, that pain medicine was, um, yeah, I, again, I don't know what it was, but at that point, I woke up, and I had no movement or feeling from my waist down. And that's when I was like, oh, snap. This ain't good. But again, pride, Joel, said, oh, it's okay. Um, again, I'm young, I'm healthy. This will pass in a couple days. I don't, even, I don't even think I called my parents immediately because, again, I was relying on myself of saying, oh, I'm fine, no big deal. Plus, I believe in healing, right? The Lord's going to touch my life. But, again, that was just jargon. That was just saying it because that's what I've heard from the podium. I'm saying that because that is the environment that I was in. I didn't believe it, right? I was just saying it because, I, oh, that's, that's the right thing to do, right? And so I think, I think two days, was it two days that went by? Three days-ish went by, couldn't move, couldn't feel anything. And that's when I finally called my parents and I said, listen, um, I went to the emergency room a couple nights ago. I have no movement or feeling from the waist down. My dad makes that four and a half hour drive in like three hours coming up to Michigan to get me. And um, I, I, 
I think my parents, because again, old Joel, I always sought the approval of people. I used to exaggerate, right, the truth. Or I would lie to spin the story to make it more beneficial for me, to make me look good, to make, uh, to seek whatever approval, whoever it may be. And because that was such a consistent theme in my life, my parents thought I was exaggerating the truth. And rightfully so, right? Rightfully so. And so I'll never forget my roommates. There were six of us. Um, they, they had carried me uh, to my dad's car, and I think that's really where I think it hit me and my parents of what was really happening. Um, I never, I'll never forget hearing my dad's side and him, him saying, uh, when I saw his legs dangling, hitting the door and kind of bonking together. And I think that's really where it got real for me, too. Because, again, I lived in this fantasy that my life was completely figured out because I was living a, a righteous, moral lifestyle. And we drove down to Indiana. We had heard of a of a good spinal surgeon in Carmel, St. Vincent's Carmel. Because I thought I was going to have to have surgery. They thought I was going to have to have surgery on my back on such heavy pain medicine to uh, relieve my back pain. Were those on before? These ones? Oh, they were? Okay. I apologize. Um, I know. America. Also, y'all, I can't find my glasses at my house, and it is actually kind of difficult to see, and so I'm actually kind of having difficulty seeing, um, so those lights are really actually doing me a disservice. Keep them on. Obviously, we need them, but um, so St. Vincent's Carmel, they put me, they admitted me, put me in the hospital, uh, pain medicine, all that fun stuff. And they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to transfer you to St. Vincent's downtown Indianapolis. So they transfer me. I don't really remember anything um, except that's where kind of all the testing kind of began um, of trying to figure out what's going on. So that first hospital found out several of the discs in my back were either slipped, bulging, or herniated. And then I had a really bad case of degenerative disc disease. And I never, I'll never forget the, one of the doctors had said, well, you basically have the spine of a 90-year-old man. Um, and that kind of hit me of like, oh, snap, this is a little bit more real than what I had anticipated. Time went, a couple, several days went by. They were like, well, we're kind of coming to an end. We don't really know um, what to do, what's happening. So we're going to transfer you to IU Methodist. Um, and I remember they transferred me there in an ambulance, and it was one of the most painful ambulance rides I've ever experienced, and I remember I had three spinal taps, uh, which if any of you have experienced a spinal tap, it is excruciating. I don't like it at all, but the issue is is my uh, where they uh, went into my spine to pull the fluid out, uh, they all were leaking, all three of them, and so I, I, I had never experienced headaches like that in my entire life. I was miserable. I lost, golly, God knows how much weight because I couldn't eat. I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't do any physical therapy. 
because I was just so sick between the spinal tap leakage and the pain medicine. Um, so I remember I get to IU Methodist. They transferred me. I was, oh, oh, the reading glasses. Praise the Lamb. Oh, how cool do I look? One of these days I'll look as cool as Alex Fulton. Um, is that PowerPoint not working? The arrow. I was going to show a picture. I'll, whenever that gets put up, I'll, I'll show some pictures. Um, I feel a little uncomfortable with posting pictures, um, but I think it actually gives uh, a, a real tangible um, way of seeing it for yourself. But uh, I was greeted by a nurse in IU Methodist, and she says, are you faking it? Not even, you guys remember this. Are you failing any classes? Did your girlfriend break up with you? Um, there was a couple other questions that she had asked me, and then again, after all of that, had asked again, are you faking it? And the, the anger that rose up inside of me, um, I don't remember what I said, but I know she was not really too keen on what I had said. Um, but it brought up, why would somebody assume, of that, assume that of me? And it was actually an invitation to, by the Lord of what are you faking in your life? Not, this is not fake. I mean, this is as real as it gets, right? But there's other areas in my life where that, that question that she asked was potent. And she didn't realize the questions that she was asking actually had to do with what are you faking in your life, right? And I started to journey with the Lord of, oh, snap, I'm actually faking a lot of things in my life. People think that I am one individual when in all actuality, that's not even remotely close to who I am. And um, through that time, one of the... Um, the, really, the first thing that the Lord dealt with was pornography in my life. Um, hate to break it to you guys. My family ain't perfect. I'm not perfect. And uh, it, was a, it had a huge stronghold in my life. And the darkness that, that, that I had opened up, um, you know, that was a huge door that the Lord wanted to deal with immediately of, like, what void am I filling in my life with that? Why am I so insecure in my identity? Why am I trying to search it out in other places? And it's actually manifesting. Boy, it is very difficult to see you guys. Up close, it's great, but um, it's manifesting itself by lying, manipulating the truth, exaggerating it. And ultimately, you're trying to fill a void because, again, you're doing it out of your own efforts. You're doing everything out of your own will, your own power not the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He started dealing with my pride. Right Again, it was a pride, but also rooted in false humility. Right, The people would compliment me and say things about me. It's like, oh, no, no, no. It's of Jesus. I mean, he needs you guys. Like, 
It's not a prideful thing to accept a compliment. It's like, yes, thank you. Because in all actuality, the Lord needs you to actually demonstrate his kingdom. Right? right? And so this false humility that's, oh, it's all of Jesus. And it, yes, it's true, but he needs you. He could have done everything in the snap of a finger, in the blink of an eye, but yet he chooses to demonstrate his kingdom through his people. And so this false humility of like, I have nothing to do with it. Yes, you freaking did. You did. Is it all Jesus? Yes. But he needs you. Right? And that's what I loved about what Sam said. Right? Obedience is priority over sacrifice. He wants our yes. And that's really where the, the Lord proposed that question. Do I have your yes? And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean, do I have your yes? Okay, no big deal. So at that point, I had been transferred to another hospital. This was the last and final one. I don't even remember which one it was. And the Lord was continuing to chip away at the calloused nature of who I was. I had a calloused heart, a calloused mind, because I had done everything in my, um, in my own efforts. And everything that is done in your own efforts, that will come crashing down uh, when you have an encounter with the Lord. Um, and so that, in total, I was in five hospitals, and they all confirmed the same thing about the discs, the, um, the spine. Um, and ultimately, they all sent me home and saying, best of luck to you. We're not really sure if you'll ever walk again. And so um, that's really where the nitty-gritty started um, to really uh, take shape in my life. I, went, I, I like to tell people I went into the boxing ring with the Lord. Because in a hospital setting, it's very difficult. I was so out of it. But those initial questions and those initial conversations with the Lord were being had. And so I, I got home, and, and it started setting in that this is real. Um, and I think this is December. We started, like, kind of making adjustments. We put in a handicap ramp um, into our garage. Again, having to come to terms with that reality of, yeah, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair, and it doesn't look promising that I'll ever get out of it. And um, we started having other conversations of potentially, you know, what else are we going to do within the house to accommodate me being in a wheelchair and all of that stuff. And I have never um, experienced depression, anxiety. I wouldn't even say anxiety. It's more depression until I got into... Uh, our home, and all things came to a halt. We busy ourselves so often. We fill ourselves with uh, different things to do to ultimately avoid uh, that gaping hole in our heart, right? When in all actuality, the Lord is inviting us into uh, an, an experience with Him that shows all other things are inferior. And so I was doing all these activities, sports, intramurals, um, all this stuff at school, right? If you've been to college, you know there was always something going on 24-7. And I never took a break until 
it all came to a complete halt and the Lord forced me to sit in my room with him. And it was one of the most dark, depressing times because I, I did not know what stillness was. And I had a choice to make in that moment. Was I going to continue to fill up my schedule? Or was I going to allow the Lord to completely permeate my entire being? And that was one of the most difficult decisions. I don't know why it was. But I chose to let him permeate everything about me. And I'll, I spent days, my parents can attest to it, just, I, I moved my speakers into my room and I would worship. Face down for hours. At first it was not, um, it was not pure. It was very much rooted in, Lord, I need healing. I need, I need, I need, I need. And again, he presented me with the opportunity, what do you really need? What do you really need? And I came to quickly realize I needed him. I didn't need my legs back. I can live without my legs. What I really need is an encounter with him. And that's where the Lord started revealing all of the garbage in my life. The trajectory of my life, where it was headed. He invited me into an encounter to see what my life looks like without him. If I were to continue on this journey, I was a miserable mess. I had no real purpose that I was serving. Nobody really knew the real me. Because again, I had created this facade of who I was. And who, who wants to marry somebody and then come to find out that's not who they really are? And so for weeks, I would actually just spend hours and hours and hours because I had no frame of reference of what do I do in these situations I knew to worship. And it slowly progressed from I was needing something, I was wanting something to, oh Jesus, I just, I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to be with you. There's no ulterior motives. There is no agenda to why I am worshiping you. I'm worshiping, worshiping you because you are worthy of my continual thanks, my continual praise. And it shifted, and I'll never forget this, it shifted from like, I'm worshiping you from, for a miracle to I am just worshiping you because I am deeply in love with you and I need you more than I need my legs. And that's where the Lord just started loving me and asking me questions. What do you really believe? Do you really believe in healing? Well, of course I do. Well, why? Right? These are the questions. Again, we hear it from the pulpit. This is the culture that has been established here. But quite honestly, a lot of us probably can't really 
defend the theology of healing. I know I didn't. I couldn't. But it took a moment and even a question from the Lord. I don't want to say he said, prove it to me. Right, but that, that's how I took it, right? Oh, I, I want to prove it to you, Lord, because I want to please you. And I need to sharpen my ability and communicate effectively the miracle that, took, that takes place in my life. Not just from an experiential standpoint, but from a theological standpoint. And so, weeks go by. The Lord's doing amazing work in my life. There's actually a, um, uh, some pictures on here. There's actually a video of me exercising and Chuck Cooley. He was with me day in, day out. Helping me. I would spend hours at the Y. We would exercise doing TRX bands, core strength. And then my dad would get in the pool. I'd go swimming, just strictly upper body, while my legs dangled. Similar with Chuck, he'd help me get in and out of the wheelchair. I'd do that day in and day out. And even in those moments, the Lord would remind me, I want you to be vulnerable. I don't want you making it look like you have it all figured out. And I did. I, I still slipped back, back into that. You guys that um, I would be here at church on Sunday, they, you'd ask how I was doing. And I always had my go-tos. Living the dream. If I was any better, it'd be illegal. And there was one more. Um, but it was all to mask what was happening internally. I, would re I refuse to let any of you in. Because of the fear of the shame that it would bring upon my parents. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Even as I was thinking about it, oh, I'm not going to get emotional. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh, thanks, guys. <sighs> Finally, it took a long time for me to, it's been a while. The Lord has really taken me on a journey again. I used to be very emotional. I used to be very whimsical in my emotions. And I became so seared and so calloused. And the Lord again is bringing it to the center of that pendulum. And so the Lord um, was explaining, like, do you believe you're going to be in a wheelchair the rest of your life? Well, no, I don't. Do you really believe that or are you just saying that? No, I'm just saying it. But he says, you're not. What? What do you mean I'm not? Look at me right now. My legs had atrophied so severely. I had little chicken legs because I hadn't moved my legs. There's a video of me doing robotic walking therapy. And um, 
trying to wake my legs up, but I, the, <laughs> the legs that I had, people, were disgusting. They were chicken legs. I had lost all my muscle. And I said, well, this doesn't make sense, Lord. Look at my legs. Look at the circumstances. Am I not higher than the circumstances? Is my word, my character, my nature higher than your circumstances? I don't know why I'm carrying this around. And that's where I said, okay, so be it. This is, this is going to take a, an act of you, King Jesus, and I, I fully trust you. And so I remember um, it was really the beginning of January where I, I had made that decision. So um, this is from October 2013 to the beginning of January of 2014. Um, I had um, finally said, yes, I'm done fighting this. If you want to perform a miracle, it is going to be because of your grace and your righteousness, not because of anything that I've done. Because, again, I was trying to pray. I was trying to fast and do all this stuff with not a pure heart. And so I remember middle of January, I kind of have a dream. And in the dream, I'm running through my high school field house tunnel uh, at Newcastle here. And, you know, that paper banner that all the athletes run through before the game. You guys know what I'm talking about. And uh, all the there's usually a ton of artwork and and in the dream I'm I'm running through this banner, in in my dream one I'm running so I'm like, amen, <laughs> but more importantly on that banner it said J23, and I was like what, that makes no sense, but Jesus this dream is of you I'm gonna table this I'm gonna put it in my mystery shelf that's what I call it, and um. You will reveal the right time. I'm not going to worry about it, and I'm not going to fret, stress. I'm leaving it up to you. Where's Braxton Farmer? So at that time, I had um, I'd had that dream, and I was trying to figure out. Does anybody have a microphone? Um, trying to figure out what was happening in a church that following Sunday, um, we were, he and I were actually rolling around in the foyer, and back there, uh, where that table is, where Brian Hughes is, I'll never forget, Braxton had came up to me, he was four years old at the time, look at him now, he came up to me, he says, Joel, the Lord told me to tell you you're going to walk on a Thursday, what? And, and yeah, he, and so this is the other part, right? Again, I had this facade that everything was fine. I was totally okay. And so he would kick me in the leg. <laughs> you can't feel that, right? You're right, and I'd like chase him around. But that was just kind of what I had tried to create. It was very relaxed, low key. And so to see the switch of like, oh, wait, hey, Joel's gonna, uh, the Lord told me to tell you you're gonna walk on a Thursday. You know, it was, it, was, it was potent, and I knew, okay, the, the Lord is speaking right now. And I asked Braxton, if, if you don't mind, I wanted him to share kind of his perspective because um, there is such importance uh, about hearing the voice of the Lord like a child. Because, again, he was four years old at that time and with pure innocence. 
Um, and so if you don't mind, I'd love for you to kind of share uh, your experience and how the Lord spoke to you about that. All right, so is this good? So whenever I heard it, I didn't really, as a four-year-old, I didn't really understand the full thing of not being able to walk because I had always been able to know what it was like. So when I prayed, I just kind of felt like when my mom told me we should pray for him and the Lord told me he will walk on a Thursday, I'm like, I feel like he should know this. And it just kind of felt like as soon as I told him, there was like a, almost like a gleam in his eye. He was like, this is going to happen. And I didn't really know at the time how big this was for everyone. And so, you know, I'm at my house. I'm saying, Lord, please help him walk. And I hear he'll walk on a Thursday. So I don't remember the full thing, but I know I told him he'd walk on a Thursday. Come on. So when it, when it comes by and he, my mom tells me, he, it worked. <laughs> it, it came by. It worked. My first thought was, oh, no, he's going to kick me back. <laughs> he didn't kick me back. <laughs> but whenever he did walk him, he, I don't remember, but I just know that he was ecstatic. He was happy. And... From four to now, it's just kind of, you know, a little phase. Like, but I just remember everything that, how he felt. I could almost feel like how a parent feels when their child gets happy. It was almost like that, except awesome. I wasn't the parent. <laughs> he, he was way older than me, so. <laughs> but I almost felt like just kind of, I helped him. And that made me feel really good. That's good. Come on. Hey, buddy. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, um, thank you Braxton. Um, I love hearing. Uh, I love hearing that, and to hear it from um, him personally. Um, so when he told me that, it's so true. I, I, I had there was a, a glimmer of hope, yeah. right, um, that I had never really experienced. Because um, hope is Jesus. And so at the time, I didn't understand, okay, well, that, that fits into the puzzle. I just don't know how yet. And I remember after church, I told my parents and this kind of stuff, and I felt like I was supposed to turn into a calendar. Thursday, J23, you know, how does this, um, how does this fit together? And I remember, uh, you know, again, little thinking Joel at the time. Well, there's no way. January 23rd, right, that's just in four or five days. There's no way that it can happen then. I remember I turned to June and July thinking, oh, that's when it'll happen. And the Lord just convicted the daylights out of me. Am I not good enough? Am I not good enough? And I said, oh, yes, you are. And I remember turning to J23, and there it was, January 23rd, fell on a Thursday. And, again, I don't know how to explain it. I just knew that I knew that I knew that the Lord was going to radically transform my life on January 23rd, 2014. And so I remember the, that Wednesday night, the 22nd, um, tried to go to bed. <laughs> I was obviously so ecstatic that I was going to walk. So I remember midnight came around, and I was laying in my bed, 
And I was like, Lord, where are you at? <laughs> right, because I, I was just so excited. Nothing had happened until about 3 a.m., and that's where I started kind of feeling numbness and tingling in my toes. And I got just so excited, and then that excitement turned to uh, extreme pain because uh, the as the feeling started to come back in my legs, I, I have never experienced that kind of pain in my life, and I would never wish that upon my worst enemy. It was excruciating, and I was in my room by myself, pillow over my mouth, just gritting my teeth, screaming, uh, because it had hurt so bad. And so the, the pain and the feeling, the sensation, started working its way up from my toes up to my hips. That took about an hour and a half for that to fully come back. And I remember as the pain started to reside, I was like, whoa, this is, th this is it. Like, I've, I've got feeling. I, I pinched, my, pinched my legs. I wiggled my toes. And I said, Lord, this is, this, this is of you. you. You have radically healed me. And I remember I swung my legs over the side of the bed, and I sat there for probably a good 15, 20 minutes recounting everything that had just happened of the journey that the Lord had taken me on and everything that had been spoken to me, even from the hospital's perspective of, you know, you'll probably never walk again. You need to adjust your lifestyle to being in a wheelchair. Um, and then, again, looking down at my legs, I know you, I know they look small now, but you should have seen them then. <laughs> but thinking, like, this is, there is no possible way that I am even able to support myself because I had lost so much of my leg strength and all of my muscles. And I remember, I think a physical therapist had told me it would take like 12 weeks to relearn how to walk, right? To get my strength back to, and to, to walk again. And I said, Lord, like, no. I wanna be real careful because the Lord heals through medicine, okay? Hear my heart, please. He heals through medicine. Um, and he has amazing people within the field of medicine like physical therapy and individuals that bring diagnosis that are of the G are of just in fire for Jesus right and so do not hear me say I do not believe in medical healing because I do but at that moment I knew when the doctors had told me all of that stuff that no you're Jesus you're going to defy that you are supernaturally interjecting your deity, or sorry, you're injecting your presence in this moment. And I remember I, I stood up, I was freaked out because I thought I was just going to collapse. But I stood up and I had no issues whatsoever. I took a step, it was as if nothing had ever happened. <laughs> and I remember I was like, I need to go in my parents' room because this is, this is pretty slick. And I went in there, and I remember, I think it was my mom had said, Abe, what are you doing up? You have school. <laughs> or two hours, something like that. What are you doing up? And I said, no, it's Joel. The shadows of the blankets. <laughs> Never seen my dad move so fast. And we just embraced, and I... I still don't think I have ever experienced the tangible presence of the Lord like in that moment. It was very powerful. Um, is that working now? It's okay. 
there's a video the morning that I started walking and a picture of my brother and I, we were standing together. It was a really, really sweet, tender time. And um, I went and played basketball, shot hoops that next morning, that, that morning, just because I was in such shock of his goodness. Um, but not only that, but that was the first time since I was 14 years that I, since I was 14 years old that I did not have back pain. I've not had back, any back issues ever since then. And so when, when Jesus interjects and does a supernatural miracle, he, he, does it, he doesn't do it halfway. It's, it's full healing. It's full restoration. And so ever since then, the trajectory of my life has completely been refocused. And he has uh, transformed my life. And again, Jesus and God did not paralyze me. But he used that situation for with which the enemy was trying to bring harm and destruction and used it for good. And so really the, the recounting of my testimony, I, I pray that you guys leave um, feeling hopeful. And I when a testimony is shared and released, that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, um, is present. And so, one of the things that I, I, I would like to do is uh, have a stand up real quick. Because even though my paralysis was physical, there's people in here that are experiencing emotional paralysis, uh, spiritual paralysis, um, and even some physical um, issues as well. Um, and so as we close the service, um, like I said, I want you, um, I want you f leaving with a new sense and renewed sense of hope. But also to kind of ask yourself, what am I doing to earn my righteousness? Because whether you, again, I still have to battle this myself. Um, we are works-oriented. It's, it's, it's in our DNA, sadly. And so, um, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that um, uh, the prayer team to come up as I'm praying. Because um, if there are any of you that need prayer for any type of healing, um, or if you need hope, uh, the Lord is giving you a special invitation um, today that, again, it's not revolved around me, right? It is revolved around the testimony of Jesus, of his goodness, of his healing mercy, um, and his free gift of righteousness. And so I'm going to pray real quick, um, and then if you would, if you need to go, we'd love, uh, we love you, I love you, um, it's so good to see you guys, um, but I also would just ask that you would respect the people if they want prayer, just take your conversations outside um, in the foyer, um, and just kind of leave the individuals that do want prayer, um, just to create, you know, an environment for the, them to feel um, safe for them to feel uh, comfortable and not have the interruption of conversation. So, um, but yeah, so Lord, we just thank you. 
We thank you, we thank you, Lord. That's, that is what we want to continually have on our lips is sounds of thanksgiving, King Jesus. Not because of anything that we can do, but uh, of everything that you have done, you will do, and you have yet to do in our lives, Lord. King Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the life of Chuck Cooley. I thank you for all of the lives that that man has touched, including mine. King Jesus, I thank you for being with his family, Lord. I thank you that your tangible peace, that your tangible presence, that your tangible comfort would be with Chuck's family, Lord, as they navigate such a difficult time, Lord. Even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of death, Lord, you are present. Lord, I thank you for making yourself so evident to his family, Lord. Lord, thank you for the impact that he had on this body. Lord, I thank you for his uh, amazing demeanor. Lord, he always had a smile on his face, and he was the first one to run and give you a hug, Lord. And I know that that small act, that simple act, transformed many people's lives. And so, Lord, we, we, we give you all honor. We give you all praise. And, Lord, we wait with eager expectation to see what you have in store for each and every one of us, how you want to intervene, how you want to completely change the trajectory of our lives, Lord. We give you our yes, Lord. We give you our yes. We want to be obedient, not only to our Savior, but to our Lord. We want you to rule and reign in our lives, that we would be able to co-labor with you to bring your kingdom here, Jesus. This world needs it now more than ever. And so, Lord, we thank you for all healings throughout history that, and even today, Lord. We love you, we love you, and we give you thanks even if it doesn't look like what we think it looks like. And even if he doesn't, he is still good. So, Lord, we love you. Bless the rest of this day that we have. Bless the rest of this week. And King Jesus, let your name be known. In your name we pray. Amen.